Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Chafin. I'm one of the hosts. Boogity boogity boo. Caleb Shively, one of the hosts of Actually Best Choice Movies. Yeah, get, get the only ri- movie get, podcast. Get right up in that microphone, cowboy. I sorry, I was drinking a glass of water. Um, that's disgusting. I don't approve of that. Hey, hydration's nothing to disgust about. So theoretically, every week on Actually Best Choice Movies, we talk about two movies. One of them is old. One of them is new. They're both good, and they uh, inform each other in some way. Uh, this week, we are throwing a curveball, as we've been doing a little bit lately. Um, we're talking about uh, Uncut Gems, the new Safety Brothers movie that came out a couple weeks ago. And we're also talking about some end-of-decade stuff, because as we release this show, it is almost the end of 2019 which means it's almost the end of the 2010s. We want to get on that sweet end-of-decade listicle bandwagon. Sure, man. Uh, we're also doing a, a movie, a uh, big feature, might have heard of, The Rise of Skywalker, Star Wars. It's a movie for all of us to enjoy. I haven't. I have not heard of this. What is this? Uh, it's the ninth episode in a star of a star i'm not even gonna get it's a tv it's a tv show i'm not even gonna try to be ironic we're talking about star wars and in this conversation about uncut gems and star wars we're going to reflect on uh the independent filmmaking that Hmm. uncut gems offers and how the rise of that and a24 all got to be cool and we all love it and we buy merchandise and then the other side of that or just how we respect and fear and talk in hushed tones about blockbuster disney star wars filmmaking Sounds great, dog. Yeah. Uh, so that's all this week on Actually, Actually Best Choice, Choice Movies. So yeah, before we get to any of that, we are kicking things off with our end of decade discussion. Caleb is much more prepared than me because I had my whole family here for Christmas. Also, as I've mentioned in the past, I have an infant, which is my excuse for everything at this point. She's a beautiful um, excuse. A beautiful excuse. I'm glad you didn't say like excuse for a human being or something like that because that would be very rude, frankly. I mean, all babies are to an extent. <laughs> What she fucking she doesn't do anything. She doesn't know how to I was thinking about this. It's funny, you know, animals have their like adapted ways that they uh survive when they're infants. Like horses have to learn how to run right away. Or sure. cats, you know, even though they're blind, can find their mother. Uh human beings uh complain. That is the thing they do when they're born to keep from dying is they complain as loudly as possible. Yell and, and I think scream. that's a nice metaphor for all of human existence. Sure. Anyway, so yeah, the, Caleb, why don't you lead us on this? Because you're much more prepared than me. So um, there's a lot of things to look at when you're looking at the movies of 10 years, because that's a huge amount of lists. It's been a huge, huge decade. Always things you forget, always things you passed over. So, you know. It's been at least at least eight years, I feel like. Yeah. And you spend like doing research of this. You just start reading lists and then start thinking movies you like. And then I wrote down, just started taking, okay, every time I remember a movie, I wrote it down. And I probably got to like 200 movies before I quit writing things down. I was like, this is ridiculous. But I did narrow it down to a 50 when I did it. It's on Instagram and other places where things exist that I write things on. Um, But, you know, it could be broken down in what we're about to do into even smaller little chunks 
to talk about. Uh, first off the bat, best movie of the decade, rum- rummaging right into it, foraging wow. into the fire. <laughs> rummaging around my brain mm-hmm. for me to answer this question. Uh, and there's so many great movies. Uh, a plethora of, a plethora of mo- great movies. Uh, I was very close to picking P.T. Anderson's The Master, which you could even mm. pick from several P.T. Anderson movies. We and, saw that together. Yeah, we did, yeah. yeah. But I wanted to go to being my uh, weird self, uh, a movie I've talked about uh, that I love, The Act of Killing from Josh Oppenheimer. It's a mm. documentary. I want a documentary wow, as the Caleb. movie of the decade. That's like aggressively smart. cool to pick a documentary for your best film of the decade. Really, out of all the narrative films, you think Act of... I mean, I was, I will say I was too scared to see Active Killing. It seemed to me to be too real, quote unquote, in that it is real. And I don't, it seemed gross in some way. uh, It is very gross and uh, it's very upsetting. uh, And I think that's what I look for from my movie experience. And I think that was more than any other movie. That is what Uh, you look Active Killing just like threw me in my seat uh, and made me pay attention to something that I would have never thought about. It also offered me... uh, new ways of thinking. Uh, it's just like when you go to movies, you just want like uh, looking for that new, looking for something that like opens your mind into a new way. And I don't think a movie has done that more than the act of killing, uh, which is about, uh, if you don't know, it's about Indonesia had a huge war. Uh, they had people go and kill innocent people. And this filmmaker, Joshua Oppenheimer went and just talked to the men who carried out the killings just to get, uh, piece of their mind and just see how they feel about it and most of them uh don't really realize what they do and it's just all this mental gymnastics is a phrase i love uh of them just like explain like justifying it to themselves and he gets them to like recreate it and they're like weirdly gleeful about it and then there's always like a point of recognition where they're like oh i i I need to like calm myself down a little bit (laughs) and it's fucking wild Ini antara ganjang Cina sama ganjang mertua. Cikam juga. Garam Cina juga. Yeah, dude, that sounds really hard to watch. Tracy Jordan's hard to watch. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, hard to watch. Um, That's uh, a flip side of movies. Some things need to be HTW, hard to watch, hard to take in to make you fully be a human. Uh, so that's your favorite movie of the decade. Uh, I can't argue with that. It's, you know, obviously a hugely critically acclaimed, yeah. like, you know, movie. <laughs> John and Waters it seems, it a lot it's, too. it's like, un- it's uncovering something really important and essential about history, you know? Um, so like, yeah, great choice, dog. Great choice. I mean, me, I, I have a very hard time picking favorites or ranking things. I mean, I know that's part of the reason I haven't been successful as an online entertainment journalist is that I am really bad at acting like I really love just one thing and nothing else. So I guess this is a place to say a couple of things for me. Um, One of them is I thought a really interesting trend this decade was the rise of sort of thoughtful science fiction movies. There was like a real proliferation of those, which I think you can trace back to a few factors, which is like... uh, you know, the success of Star Wars and Star Trek in this decade at making, you know, huge amounts of money and becoming huge franchises. Also, it's sort of a knock-on Marvel effect where if you're a movie movie executive and you don't know that much about the world of nerd stuff, you're like, okay, comic book shit, space shit, mm-hmm. yeah, it's all nerd stuff. And you're maybe a little more willing to green light these things, especially given the growth in international audiences that we've had this uh, decade. Mm-hmm. A science fiction movie is plays a little better. Like an action movie, it plays better around the world. 
than uh, you know a regular drama. Mm-hmm. So I think it regular also, dramatic themes like transposed into a science fiction setting have been huge, huge this decade. And as we go forward as a world and universe, we have uh, so much more technology able well, right. to us. So uh, great filmmakers just can take Are responding to these this, right? new tools uh, and push things to the limit and just try and create something new. Right. Uh, in in blockbuster filmmaking and especially in uh, sci-fi where it's not a franchise. So you've got movies like, I'm just going to list off a couple. Um, you've got Looper. You've got Gravity, The Edge of Tomorrow. You've got uh, Snowpiercer, Her, uh, Attack the Block, Upgrade, Ex Machina. And, like, these are all very Arrival, interesting. Arrival, I would throw in there. Arrival, too. yes, I would throw in there. I mean, I did fall asleep <laughs> the first time I saw Arrival. <laughs> but I think it's also a very good movie. This is not to say any of those are my favorite movie of the decade. Um, and here's just a couple. Here's a couple off the top of my head that I think are fantastic movies from this decade. Um, I will say Green Room totally blew me back in my chair oh, yeah. and blew my hair back. It was an amazing movie. Uh, and it was, I had such a visceral reaction to this movie. It's one, maybe the best horror movie I've, I've ever seen. Call Me By Your Name uh, definitely had a huge influence on me. I thought it was a beautiful movie to watch. And I thought that um, the clothes were fantastic. I've basically been dressing like it's that underrated. ever since. Contemporary, uh, even though it's like an 80s movie, but good, good, good Contemporary costume. style. It's yeah. fantastic. I mean, and speaking of that, I would say The Phantom Thread was like a, a surprising weird beautiful film sure. that i was so happy it's that been it fun exists. to like go through uh lists like this and say like oh these this is a that pt anderson person like i'm a, a the master person you're you oh, yeah i'm a phantom thread, thread person yeah definitely. Thread person. uh even if you see those inherent vice people be like i see you out there crazy choice <laughs> crazy choice for sure i'm not gonna argue that's pt anderson <laughs> i mean i might argue with that um also i really liked carol you know the todd haynes movie i thought yeah. that's i mean speaking of beautiful movies like absolute and heartbreaking um and speaking of breaking spring breakers from carmony kareen an absolutely like bonkers off the wall movie that somehow became a huge huge commercial hit i mean as somebody who's liked harmony kareen since the 90s it was i was so gratified to see him like inject himself into popular feeling. culture it's a beautiful feeling yeah, it was great and you know shoplifters uh obviously that won the palm door but you know it didn't quite get the shine that you know like director bong's movies get here for example i know it's you know speaking of asian cinema about class right mm-hmm. Um, I personally thought that was fantastic. Like, I'm not gonna say I thought it was better than Parasite. I, I didn't exactly, but I definitely think it's on the level of Parasite. Yeah, I would agree. And to see the 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 amount of attention Parasite has gotten and the the complete lack of attention that Shoplifters got, you know, I don't think that's fair necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's out. I'll, I'll, I'll transition because I loved uh, Shoplifters as well, and that breaches into my next category of directors of the decade. And Shoplifters was directed by Hirokazu Kuraida, which I think. He became my favorite uh, director this decade. Uh, he had a bunch of great movies before this decade that made me love him. But when I was looking at, like, okay, from 2010 output on, uh, the majority of his movies uh, were from, started in 2010. Uh, he made his first children's movie, I Wish, which is, again, takes the genre of a child's movie, stars kids, and then just, like, pushes it to, like, a very sweet and new spot that I, I loved. Uh, then he also, this decade, Kareda did, I would say his, like, family trilogy i mean all his movies deal with family to an extent but like this so i would say more of a children relationship where uh mm-hmm. still walking was more about the family unit and in general but uh the family trilogy of uh like father like son which is bonkers so fucking good all these movies are like two hours long and quiet and gentle our little sister which i saw on a plane and i i cried at and i was like i don't want anyone to see me cry right here. I mean, I cry at every movie on a plane as i think i've said on this show i, cl- yeah. I cried during whiskey tango foxtrot like three <laughs> times 
I never cry at movies. That one got me. Uh, he also did After the Storm, and then the same year he did Shoplifters, he did my least favorite movie, his movie, The Third Murder, which is his only period piece movie. Uh, but then Shoplifters. What's, one what's the du- period? I don't know. It's like in Japan, maybe feudal. I don't know. 1600- like feudal times, like 1600s, yeah. 1500s. Yeah, okay. Uh, but still, it was still solid. But uh, I mean, his middle ones are so fucking good. But yeah, I would say Hirokazu Kareda is my director of the 2010s. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of contenders. P.T. Anderson, we mentioned a couple times already on this, uh, mm-hmm. so he has to be up there. He only made three movies this decade, though, which seems kind of light, but also not at all for well, the way I he actually like, makes movies. I feel like his output, you know, was centered in the previous decade and even, you know, the decade before that, right? Um, is, is that right? I mean, the 2000s, I think, were really P.T. Anderson's yeah, decade, and I mean, he's Boogie kind of Nights taken this decade 90s, off, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I would say his best movie... Uh, arguably his best movie, uh, There Will Be Blood, was 2008, 7, 2008. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, to talk about a theme and then to total take a total left turn from that, I think the theme you have to talk about for this decade is the uh, rise of Mumblecourt directors and stars as becoming these driving forces in culture in a lot of ways. So this is like this independent film scene, like largely centered in Brooklyn, like starting in around, you know, 2005 to 2008, and then, you know, really kicking off in the, you know, becoming very popular from, say, 2010 to 2012 or 13. Yeah, they were like ramshackle, uh, passed around movies. Very cheaply made, you, find you know. other music. And very, Basically, like, people exactly (laughs) our age, you know, making these movies about people living lives very, very similar to ours, I would say. Um, So these the people from this movement uh, now are very popular, making movies that are, like, you know, huge movies. So these are people like, you know, the Duplass brothers, uh, Alex Ross Perry, Greta Gerwig, the Safdie brothers, Joe Swanberg, and Andrew Bukowski, I would say, are sort of the main ones from this movement that are, you know, to varying degrees, still, like, driving culture, but, like, obviously Greta Gerwig, you know, right now, Little Women is in theaters, right? Alex Ross Perry, you know, I'm sure that Elizabeth Moss is going to get an Oscar nomination for that movie. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, Oscars are stupid, but she got uh, the Spirit Awards. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And then, you know, the Mark Duplass obviously has wanted to be an actor as far back as 2005, so he's, like, mostly an actor these days. I mean, they produce, the Duplass Brothers production company produces a ton of stuff. And, you know, Bukowski oddly wrote the Lady and the Tramp movie on Disney+, Plus, which is, I think, is kind of funny. But it kind of has a synergy with Alex Ross Perry writing the Winnie the mm-hmm. Pooh movie. Even I would lump Sophia Tikal in that, who has a movie in theaters right now. She, they let her redo Black Christmas. Mm. But if we're going to say the definitive director of the decade, I'm going to have to go to someone we talk about on the show a lot. That's Yorgos Lanthimos. It's a great choice. I think he's had such an arc in this decade. You know, his dog tooth his first major movie quote unquote came out in 2010 and then uh, you know that was the kind of movie that you'd run into people at parties and you say oh, have you seen this crazy movie Dogtooth and nobody had heard of it mm-hmm. and you're like explaining the concept to them and they sort of they, they are like interested but then also it's so weird it's very hard to capture in a like cocktail party conversation um, to go to 2018's The Favorite which was like nominated for 800 Oscars or something, sure. right? And one for OC, and, yeah, and one for Olivia Coleman, right? To go from this a Greek language film that even cool people in Brooklyn mostly had not heard of to a movie that is like one of the most popular and well acclaimed movies of the year within an eight year span mm. is amazing, and 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 to in between make. Two or three like really remarkable, Alps, interesting the movies. Lobster, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah, and All to totally revitalize Colin Working Farrell. With so many great actors. And to just completely change how we think about Colin Farrell. And to, you know, it's just so interesting. And I think he's got such a v- extremely unique 
vision that comes through in all of his movies. I mean, there's obviously critiques to be made of the auteur theory, but I think that if you look at all of Yorgos's movies, they definitely come from a unified worldview, which is just basically saying everything is completely insane. And if the way that the world works is no crazier than the way this might work. You know, mm-hmm. if you, there's no reason that it makes any more sense than this sort of thing I'm positing, which I, which I think is really great. And it's kind of similar to how I, I look at the world. Uh, I like to point out that me and Chris uh, both picked uh, foreign directors as <laughs> our, uh, no, this is, this is a beautiful thing. Um, I mean, with the rise of streaming and how easy is it accessible to uh, get foreign yeah. film and, uh, to have uh, good filmmakers like uh, Corita this year uh, is supposed to release a movie with Ethan, Ethan Hawke. It's his first oh, e- wow. uh, English language movie. So we're not only letting championing foreign movies, Parasite might win an Oscar or two, but we're letting these foreign directors come and now work within our system. It's kind of cool that film is getting more global in that sense. It'd be cool if it went the other way where an American actor can or directors can go and work in other countries. Well, I mean, I think it does work that way, but a lot I of hope times they do. it's I mean, like not great. Like yeah. that movie, like The Great Wall or something. I mean, that was more oh, actors sure. than directors. Yeah, maybe not China specifically. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I would say that's another theme of this decade was the kind of flattening of cinema. Like, if you went out and directed a really critically acclaimed indie movie and that came out next year, you could make a superhero movie the year after that. Like, mm. there's been this real flattening of that kind of thing where it's like, if you're somebody that's hot, you can get these crazy, crazy budgets. to, d- And sometimes that works out and sometimes it's a complete disaster. But it's definitely an interesting evolution in the way that, oh, um, sure. you know, the business of cinema works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, let's just talk about, before we actually shift to our other movies, Yeah, right. we could talk about, uh, what do you think is your most underrated movie of the decade? People that don't talk about it too much, hmm. that you wish people would like, go check out this movie more. Yeah, you know... Um, go check out what they are. It's hard to say. Go check out what they are. I mean, let's say a quiet movie from the recent past that I really liked. I mean, it got a lot of attention in a certain way, but is the Florida Project. Okay, I warned you, one drip and you're out. Oh, come on! Out now. It's gonna melt outside. It's melting inside, too. But Bobby... Out. Thank you very much. You're not welcome! Oh, sure. I think that's a really interesting movie. It's amazing. got an Sean amazing Baker. performance Great. from Willem Dafoe. You know, it's got an amazing performance from the, like, sort of non-professional actors that are in the movie. And I think it's just a very touching, uh, small story that is a part of society you don't see very mm-hmm. much. And I think that it's perfectly, perfectly executed. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think it's underrated in the sense that, I mean, people love it and it's grandiose. But, like, it should be on that level of, like, movies we talk about 20 years from now. Hopefully yeah. it will be. Uh, yeah, it's a great movie to keep championing. Um, mine is, and I hinted at it a little bit, is uh, Moneyball. There are rich teams and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. Uh, I think it this is... so fucking crazy to me. No, uh, one of the... One, it's uh, from the great Bennett Miller, who did uh, also Foxcatcher, Capote. Great director. Foxcatcher the... is a good choice for movies people don't talk about. Oh, no, right? I love... How, I was... Uh, yeah. What? I was uh, John DuPont for Halloween. Remember that? I do remember that, yes. <laughs> but Moneyball, uh, uh, I think it's the only... Maybe one of two sports movies, uh, the other one being High Flying Bird, which came out earlier this year from Soderbergh, that talked about sports and how they should be talked about now. Like, we've seen sports movies to death at this point, uh, and Moneyball gives you that, like, okay, here's a big game, we're going to wrap around it, but like, it presents it in how sports are actually dealt with away, and the way they, how they treat that so seriously, and how to make that an actual interesting-looking, interesting-acted movie is 
kind of wild how they landed it. I, I'm I, again, I'm it's people are always very skeptical about it, but it's such a well crafted movie. Uh, Jonah Hill's first Oscar nomination, mm-hmm. Brad Pitt given him full on movie star, which he is so good at. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm I gonna, mean, he's someone that had a fantastic decade yeah. too, right, Brad Pitt? Uh, when we talk about Moneyball, um, <laughs> which he's great, and he plays Billy Bean, who's a, a, a legend in baseball lore. Uh, but yeah, it's, Moneyball. Sorry for those who don't know, it's about uh, looking at statistics to see how to build a baseball team. It, it was very wild and uh, not welcomed at the time. Uh, also, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays the gruff baseball manager in it. It's he's great. Um, working out with Bennett Miller after Capote. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Wally Pfister shot this movie. Uh, legend. He did all of Nolan's films up to and including Dark Knight Rises. Uh, it was edited, which you know how much I love editing, by uh, the great Christopher Tellefson. Uh, <laughs> he did uh, the early uh, Whit Stillman movies, uh, Metropolitan Barcelona. Uh, he also did Gummo and Kids. Uh, he worked with Milos Forman on Man of the Moon and some other stuff. And then he recently edited that Quiet Place movie that's basically mm. all editing because it's all quiet things that you have to like get super specific. Uh, so he's working with a great team. Chris Pratt is in this movie as a baseball player, <laughs> a schlubby baseball player who gets to kind of calls out Chris Pratt, shows him that he could be a movie star. Uh, it's just a, such a fucking easy watch uh, of something complicated. I wish people would seek it out more. It's the sports movie of the decade in multiple ways. I mean, I, I have a funny relationship with this movie because as someone who is like a nonfiction author and has aspirations to write the books kind of like like Moneyball, it's hard for me to think of the movie of Moneyball as anything other than like an extension of the book Moneyball and like money in Michael Lewis's pocket and like something I want for myself. Do you know what I mean? I, I have a hard time <laughs> looking at it as a film. I look at it as like the cinematic adaptation of a book I wish I wrote, you know? Um, but I do think it's a good movie, and I think that it's a lot of that is due to the engaging way that Michael Lewis wrote the book Moneyball. But I think it, it's obviously it's a it's a big conceptual book that covers a lot of crazy ground. So to wrangle that into a film that people can watch, I think it it sets the template for movies like The Big Short, for example. Oh yeah, a hundred. Yeah, you know you can't have The Big Short, and which is also a Michael Lewis book, unless you have Moneyball, because it's 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 saying it really like, upped uh, being smart for like yeah. bigger. Uh, money spent Hollywood yeah. movies studios were like oh cool uh let's respect audiences for a while yeah right and there's a way to tell yeah there's a way to tell a complicated story that is still engaging to audiences and I think it, it does that really well uh, um, and I, I I think that's the 2010s I think we covered uh 8% of everything so that was a lot but uh if you stuck with us this long like god bless you thank you so much and now we're gonna get to talk about the first movie that we have this week it's this year's movie from the softy brothers it's called uncut gems howard where's the money right now is it too late i'm done that means nothing meant nothing please give me another shot Selected fifth overall in the 1995 NBA draft, Kevin Garnett was the first player drafted directly out of high school in 20 years. KG would go on to become an NBA champion, MVP, 15-time All-Star, and during one playoff series late in his Celtics career, the owner of a precious opal gem from Ethiopia. (laughs) Uh, That last part is fictitious, yes, but speaks to the real-world assimilation and cosmic long-view energy that's part of the Safdie Brothers' new movie, Uncut Gems. Josh and Benny continue their glow up from small budget gritty New York indies to higher budget gritty New York indies 
working again with Good Time Collaborators A24 and uh, one, one Tricks Point Never Score, and working for the first time with cinematographer Darius Kanji and Happy Gilmore, the legend continues himself, Adam Sandler. Sandler, the schmuck you grew up with, who made you laugh by singing the word marijuanica, uh, was always a capable actor. Uh, rounding out his more unpleasant characters with a specific rage and a charming enthusiasm that offers paths to that certain character vulnerability. Uh, P.T. Anderson unlocked this in Punch Drunk Love, and we as a movie audience have been saying, yes, more of that ever since. Uh, The Safties tap into that and then some, as this action thriller about a diamond store owner slash degenerate gambler Howard Ratner is quite possibly the best Adam Sandler we've seen. He's already won Best Actor from the National Board of Review. Uh, plot details and descriptions of anxiety are about to abound. Chris, how was your Uncut Gems viewing experience? <laughs> well, it was funny because I took my mother. Uh, so <laughs> That's so fun. It uh, was a bit of an odd one. I would one. never recommend this movie to my parents. I love that. I mean, my mom likes good movies. I would say I like good movies in large part because of my mother, who encouraged me to watch good films my entire life. Uh, so I, I always think that if a movie is good, she'll enjoy it. Um, and I also, like, you know, was at Alamo Draft House. She was staying with me for like two weeks. And I was like, oh, I knew I had to see it for the show. And I'm like, mom, let's go see Uncut Gems. Um, <laughs> I think she I think she enjoyed it. She definitely was stressed out the entire time. Sure. Uh, and also it was really cold that day. So it was hard to untangle <laughs> her response to the movie to her response to being in like 20 degree weather because she lives in Florida. And it's that's like extremely cold for her. Yeah, I mean, Uncut Gems, it's a movie that starts at 11 and it never goes lower than that. It often goes higher Super than intense. that. I mean, it reminds me a lot of their, is it their previous movie? Uh, Good, Time. Good Time? Yeah, yeah, exactly. In that it's about uh, low life in New York City, desperately trying to accomplish something in a really short amount of time in a very, very high stress way. Some, someone talking their way out of, but into another situation. Yeah, over and over yeah. again. And just when you think that they've solved one problem, they create another problem mm-hmm. that's even worse. It's that anxiety. I would say all their movies are like this. Heaven Can Wait, which I think is their best movie. I, I would put that at the best movie of the decade list. Anyway, uh, also Daddy Long Legs. Uh, they take the single dad and make that anxious character crazy. Uh, but they're known for doing this, and they got a hell of a vehicle to put this in with uh, Mr. Adam Sandler. Uh, I'll talk about more in a second, but I wanted to talk about the movie-going experience because it's a, such a good movie-going experience. I've been twice now. The first time... You went I, twice, really? Yeah. The first time, I just like, this movie's too good. I need to like just... It was like, when I talked about it, I was like, oh, this is empty hyperbole. I still am probably doing that because I think it's an amazing film. You feel it with the crowd. There were two old ladies sitting behind me. They had to leave at one point. Really? <laughs> yeah. This is also a thing they said to each other. This music... It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> but then I had to shush them a couple of times. Oh, you shushed old Of course ladies. I shushed what a, them. What's such turnabout? Uh, a young I did. person telling an old person mm-hmm. to be quiet. Well, these old ladies wouldn't shut up. And then the, uh, uh, luckily another guy sitting next to me joined me in shushing these old ladies. Oh, my God. So th- they really did deserve it. You don't talk during movies. I mean, <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> uh, especially like I was like so tense you could like bounce a dime off me. Oh, my God. Well, the movie is so tense. I mean... Mm-hmm. 
this isn't a spoiler, but let's say at a certain point there's a basketball game that's very important to the plot. KG. And I never in my life have been more nervous watching a sporting event. Mm-hmm. Like never, never in my real life, never during a film. Uh, I was like, my hands were sweating, my heart was beating, <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is going to happen in this game? This is crazy. This is crazy. That the this basketball is stuff in it is so good. Uh, Sandler loves basketball. He got, yeah, I, know, I read as, that he, imp- do you. I don't uh, know shit he about improvised basketball. a lot of his lines. So it's a real game. Uh, they originally wrote a screenplay a long time ago for Amari Stoudemire because they're Knicks fans. Uh, couldn't do it. Uh, I've read because Amari wouldn't uh, shave his current dreadlocks down to. <laughs> he wouldn't change his haircut. But they got lucky. Uh, they, it almost was to Joel Embiid, which wouldn't have worked. <laughs> uh, it was almost to, uh, yeah, all of different players. But KG was on the list. They didn't want to do it with KG because, again, they're Knicks fans. But KG, always an intense guy, always like that weird superstition man i'm so i'm so hyped right now anything's possible anything's possible hey g wonderful i it's crazy that a player i loved when i was uh 12 years old is now in a movie i love when i'm 45 years old i'm 33 i'm 35 <laughs> i forget how old i don't I, I have no idea 34 uh, but yeah, he's amazing in it. He's intense. And the Safties do have this reputation for working with just new actors. Uh, Julia Fox, who was a fashion designer, a uh, person I followed on Instagram, has showed up in this movie. That's wild. Uh, they also populate with... Who is she? Of, who is she in the movie? Uh, Julia. I, which, which character is that? Julia. Um, His girlfriend? Yeah. Uh, what are you wearing right now? Yeah. Oh, that's... Really? She was not a professional actor? No, no. That's somebody you already followed on Instagram? I know. Right? Weird, right? That's crazy. I mean, she's very hot. She's very hot. Her part in the movie is to be extremely hot and extremely good supportive, it, yeah. and she's great at both of them. Oh, yeah. She, she almost has this weird addiction herself. Yeah, she does. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but because get- you would think, I mean, that the idea is she is, Adam, Adam Sandler is, a, you know, Adam Sandler's age, which is, what, 52 or something? Yeah, in his 50s. And he's got, like, a wife and a family, but he's, like, breaking up his family because he's having an affair with this woman who works at his uh, office, his, like, gems office. And you would think she's taking advantage of him. And they do sort of play with that idea. But they also show you that, like, she is also totally obsessed with him. Mm-hmm. For, and for reasons that maybe don't make sense or that it's no one understands. maybe, like, obsessed with her lifestyle and knowing that it comes from, from her. From him, yeah, exactly. And knowing that, like, it's dependent on that. And uh, if she fucks up his, her relationship with him, then she's like, what does she have? You know, nothing. Uh, but we got to talk a little bit more about Sandman here. I mean, an amazing so performance. Fucking good. I mean, in a you way, knew he had, you knew he had it in him too. In a way, I mean, I knew I had. In it. a way, it's a weird performance because it's ju- it's just two solid hours of him going, "Come on, come on!" <laughs> like oh, you yeah. know, he's just screaming yeah. at people to like do something for him. There. I'm going to need you to come. Like I locked, I locked my keys in the trunk. Can you come out to the parking lot? Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, the thing about Adam Sandler and why he's a huge movie star is that. All his movies, like he's kind of like a flubby guy or like kind of just like unpleasant. Uh, but you root for him because like he has so much enthusiasm and gusto for who he is yeah. as a, himself. Uh, and uh, like Howard in this movie, like again, an unpleasant, kind of hard to be around guy. But no, I loved Howard. He's doing horrible and things. And like legitimately but, like, insane. Like, like you, doing all sorts, making the worst yeah. choices you could so possibly the, yeah, make. We're not really talking about the plot, but the plot is... Uh, and we're, we start in the middle of it is that yeah. he's in debt. He uh, always trying to get out of debt. At one point, he gets uh, schemes his way into getting uh, an uncut gem title. It was great to see him uh, go back to doing his voice. Like, he talked like, oh, no, 
My diamonds are all uncut. Oh, no. Uh, but it's that, an opal, which I would not have guessed. Yeah. Well, every gem on it could be worth six hundred up to $600. Anyway, uh, he tries selling it's it. It's worth six, six, what is it, like $6,000 a gram? Be something like that, yeah. Or car- $6,000 a carat. That's over a million dollars. Yeah, it's, uh, a, it's this giant opal from a mine in West Africa that's supposed to be worth a million, over a million dollars. <laughs> um, which he's going to sell yeah. to help pay off his gambling debts. Uh, and what, all sorts of things happen. It gets taken hostage by a professional basketball player. He gets, you know, stripped down naked during a school play. I mean, uh, in, insane, It's basically insane him trying happen. to, like, pay off bookies and not being able to pay off bookies. And when he can pay off bookies, he's flaunting his money, so he's uh, making bad decisions about yes. Uh, it just doesn't stop until he it has stops. a fist fight with the weekend. Like that's something that happens in this movie. And Adam Sandler just takes all the energy and like for a very slow moving, like older character, it's so high energetic. Uh, and like think of Adam Sandler and this is, I would say more of one of his, I mean, he's always done, you know, we respect him for uh, punch drunk love right, or even sure. Spanglish, which I rewatched recently. <laughs> um, Meyerwood stories, funny people. You know he's the, he has good he has good instincts, good strong character instincts. We know this, uh, but then you, you know people think he always phones it in for his like sh- shitty comedies, which sure. Uh, but he also puts in some work too. Uh, Waterboy, he's doing a character the whole time. Even little Nicky, he's doing the character the whole time. But I I we talk me and Chris privately a lot about Don't Mess With a Zohan. He is acting <laughs> that we, whole time. Do we talk about that movie? You think it's weird how much I like it. I do think that's weird. I agree, yes. <laughs> Written by Smigel. Uh, Smigel also directed it's good. Smigel does lots of bad stuff. I know. I love Smigel, though. Uh, he also, Smigel re- directed one of his more recent Netflix movies called The Week Of, which... He's oh, not, that's a good movie. Yeah, he's yeah. not married to a hot chick in it. Sorry. He's married to a normal, beautiful woman played by Rachel Dratch, and it's more of a playing a wacky dad and he's kind of great at it i wish he did that more yeah, but he's not married to like mm-hmm. kate beckinsale right I yeah mean... finally yeah <laughs> but yeah um, I, I wish he would do like more like actor age type shit high elevated characters sandler always nails those and t- say what you will about him uh hollywood loves him he's the nicest guy ever from all accounts i've ever heard yeah. he's making everyone who He's ever been friends with millions of dollars. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there is a certain way to look at all of his movies, even his dumbest, dumbest comedies. And this is the kind of the argument that was made recently in this Vulture list of the best Adam Sandler movies, that uh, his whole output is talking about reckoning with how to be a man in modern society. And and it's kind of like different answers to that. And there's a certain point where he starts to grow up a little bit and become more like become a, a, a dad rather than being the child, you know? And it's, this movie definitely is in that zone because it's like he has kids and he has these professional aspirations and he's, and he's living in our, you know, our crazy insane Mm -hmm. capitalist society. And he's trying to find a way to achieve everything he wants to achieve and become like a fully actualized great person. uh, But in this kind of unconventional way. And that's, you know, you could say that's the same from 50 first dates or click or like big daddy like those that's what he's doing in all of those movies but it's just the tone of the movies is different sure. you know what i mean yeah definitely i agree uh, and this speaking to uncut gems specifically uh howard's like he does have these pure unabashed moments of joy whether it's uh, a great scene of sexting his girlfriend or uh <laughs> there's a thing that i related to so much uh just because i would do it he's about to go to an nba practice but instead he like <laughs> runs up from behind a random person, steals a ball and just shoots it. <laughs> and it was like, Oh, I did. Then ah, I did it. totally fucks himself over in the process. Oh my God. It totally <laughs> like, of fucks him do up. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's um, just a kid, but and, also 
he understands all his responsibilities in the real world that it's crashing on him, but he's just move, move, move. Just I just want to mention this real quickly because I think it's very bizarre, and I think the the reason is the basketball. But this is a period piece set in 2012, yeah, didn't which know is it. very odd. But it's it's because they wanted to feature this specific, specific game. real basketball. Uh, they looked game. at KG's career, and it was uh, they needed up down up uh, because he has the opal, doesn't have the opal, mm-hmm. uh, and that was during this playoff series. Uh, which I mean, if NBA nerd heads know, like knew it was up going into it, but it doesn't make it. But we, it was towards the end of Kevin Garnett's career, so it was like, oh, I forget how good was he? Well, he was that good. Um, and he did a lot of fun specific. They show the real game. Uh, they show Spencer Hawes. Spencer Hawes is an NBA movie. Spencer Hawes is a ridiculous NBA player. I have no idea. I have no idea what you're talking <laughs> it's about. Very I have no funny. idea who this is. Like, I have no clue. Uh, he's famous for being. Uh, he's a good shooter. He's seven foot, but also he's conservative. Like everyone in the NBA is like pretty liberal people, mm-hmm. but he is like a Trump guy. <laughs> anyway, that's funny. Anyway, it doesn't make anything, but uh, there's so, like a lot of like specific sen- sentences. Uh, it's 2012 in New York. They referenced insanity. They referenced yeah. how so, James, much James Dolan sucks. I mean, the weekend is, is oh, yeah, a the big part of it. it. Right, he exactly. was uh, when he was starting to get big too. Yeah. Uh, I think he had an iPhone six. <laughs> <laughs> he did. They all had iPhone sixes. Yeah. It was really funny. <laughs> Some other casting notes besides, you know, it was almost Amari Stoudemire was uh, they wrote it for Sandler because they are our age. They loved Sandler growing up. They always talk about his albums being influential, which I is mean, great. Yeah, on me uh, too. Yeah. But they couldn't get him, obviously, uh, when they were younger. Uh, it was for Jonah Hill for a second. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, I could I totally see that. See that. Yeah. Kind of a different movie. I don't know if it has been as good. It's interesting. <sighs> It's interesting. It's interesting. I feel like I feel like it might have been equally good. I, I feel don't... like people have more goodwill towards Adam Sandler. So even if it's the, the performance there's, there's is less of the that same... surprise factor. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I don't know. Sandler really is that good in this movie. Uh, and it's also, um, like I said, how the Safdie brothers work with like uh, first time actors and just like work to bring stuff out with them. Uh, from all accounts I'm reading, they're working a lot with Adam Sandler to bring like this specific rage the specific uh high character out of him that's interesting um, uh like how the safety brothers work is uh they write their fiction into reality uh like they, they wrote this movie a long time ago but still worked on it until it was being made uh they just did research in the diamond district so they didn't know anything about the diamond district i think their their uh father's friend was in the diamond district is what they were inspired mm-hmm. by uh and they just did countless research until it all felt real i mean what was so interesting to me i did very briefly have some business that took me to the diamond district uh in my first job we worked with jacob the jeweler like the famous jacob the jeweler as a as a pr company for a specific watch that he had done for 50 cent which was like it had jewel it had diamonds on the bezel and the bezel spun and it was from 50 cent and this was winding back the clock to like 2006 2005 so I had to go to the Diamond District a couple times and like pick up this watch, this like $50,000 watch, and then like take it back there also. But so yeah, the main thing I remembered was all the crazy security, which you don't really think oh, yeah. about, but you have to like, you get buzzed in like a million different times to get into one of these places. And then it is, it is like in this movie, it's very cramped and it's, but there's like millions of dollars in gems everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting that it's a like the magnetic doors are a plot point in the movie, mm-hmm. because that is like the thing you notice if you really go to the Diamond District, it's like, that is what it is like. It is, there is so much fucking crazy security everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh- the beautiful people A24, uh, which, th- what a great decade. Uh, hats off, A24. You <laughs> are making movies for young people to look cool about. Uh, but they put a, hosted a pop-up. 
Oh, yeah. Is it over now? Yeah, it was only one weekend. Because oh, it was in a diamond store, and it was exactly like that. They had only rented out the top floor, so the bottom floor was still very functional. Oh, my God. Uh, bunch of security out there. They had It started at 11, so you waited in line while people got buzzed in for their private things. But then, yeah, they did the buzz. Uh, you had to look at the camera, your picture. But then you could try on prop jewelry. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Did had, you get pictures of yourself wearing the prop uh, jewelry? The only one I wanted to wear was uh, the next championship ring that he wore. In the oh, movie. yeah. <laughs> did you do that? Did yeah, you I did. Oh, yeah, great. Oh, I, <laughs> I want to see those pictures. Uh, but yeah, I just want to talk about Safety Brothers for a little bit. That directors I loved uh, uh, for a long time. And it's one of those things like, oh, they are ready to... They're just bursting. They're that good. And they're mainstream going to be mainstream directors going forward. And I hope like people take notice of them uh i thought good i mean good time is a huge breakthrough of a movie they got independent spirit nominations for that and as as for uncut gems too but now everyone's seeing uncut gems i love yeah getting to talk about people because i still have not died for enthusiasm for uncut gems Woo. i'm sorry what was the point of that sentence you said i love getting to talk to people because i have still not died of enthusiasm of uncut gems do you mean you like to talk about this movie or the safety brothers or like both what? yeah everything <laughs> it's still still stemming it doesn't it's uh, still stemming is that what you said yeah there's still points i'm uh, talking about like, right. i had a long conversation today with someone about how he looked at the scale at one point and didn't was 200 pounds and, and we talked about like we looked up Adam Sandler's height, which he's 5'10". 5'10", 200 pounds is crazy. That's pretty unhealthy, Yeah, I think. That's, yeah. A, that's a good point in the movie, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got anything else you want to say about this movie, Caleb? We're uh, running dangerously close. Sorry. I want to shout out Ronald Bronstein, who uh, edits all the Safety Brothers movies, wrote this movie with him. Uh, just a great uh, human being weirdo. One of the more lost films in the whole mumblecore uh, is Frownland, uh, which he uh, wrote and directed. It's always say Frownland is stepbrothers, but if they actually were treated how you would treat horrible people, um, like you'd be fucking annoyed with them, you'd yell at them, uh, but they live in New York and it's like crazy New Yorkers like that. Yeah, Frownland, man. If you have a just sec, check it out. Sounds good, dog. Um, oh. So, I mean, honestly, I could talk about this movie for a lot longer than I this, could. but I like, let's, let's do it. <laughs> Let's, we have to move on. I am sorry, Caleb. We have to move on to have a very, very quick discussion of this fucking Star Wars movie that came out. And we'll spoil it. We're going to spoil it. Yeah. Like, who gives a it's shit? It not, doesn't make any sense. In my like, opinion, it's not good enough to not spoil. It's not good enough to not spoil. It doesn't literally doesn't make any sense. But Chris, please tell me. What we haven't talked about this yet. I'm very anxious to hear what you have okay, so to this say. This is Star Wars colon The Rise of Skywalker. Confronting fear. It's the destiny of a Jedi. Okay, so today's December 27th. Uh, I saw Star Wars today. Uh, that It's been out for nine days, I think, technically. Um, that's a long, long time after all the negative reviews have come out from professional and amateur critics, like, all over the internet. Um, we have, you know, you've seen everywhere, everybody's complaining about it being a bad movie, right? And when, indeed, we had a we had a moment yesterday where we were like, do we really want to even talk about this movie? Like, it's such a bad movie, and it represents everything we're against in movies and cinema. Like, do we even want to spend one minute talking about it? But, um, you know, I, look, I consume a lot of Star Wars things. Like, I, I can't even tell you the amount of my life I have spent in the Star Wars universe, so to speak, mm -hmm. between video games and novels and TV series. Like, I've watched the cartoon show on Cartoon Network. I watched almost all the episodes of 
what is that show called? The Clone Wars? Clone Wars. I watched almost every episode of that. I just finished playing the new like platform game, uh, The Jedi Fallen Order, which I thought was great. I'm anxiously awaiting watching the final episode of The Mandalorian later tonight or the season finale. I've been playing Star Wars video games since like the early 90s when I was playing X-Wing and TIE Fighter and Bounty Hunter. And in, and in many ways, I'm like the target audience for this. I didn't, you know, despite everything I read, I didn't want to believe that it wasn't going to be worth seeing in the movie theater. Like I was like, how am I going to pass up a chance to see Star Wars in the movie theater? But like, yeah, dog, it was like really disappointing, like really, really, really bad. So it's written and directed by J.J. Abrams. Famously, this whole like corporate bullshit thing happened where they hated Ryan Johnson's one because it the fans hated it supposedly. And they bring in J.J. to like fix everything. Um, it takes on the massive task of trying to tie together all of the threads of the massive Star Wars universe. That's 42 years of films, TV shows, novels, mm-hmm. comics, and video games. Um, what happens to the Empire, the Jedi, the Sith, our friends, Leia, Chewie, Rey, Finn, and Poe? Like, what's all, you know, and the struggle for galactic freedom. Where was it all going? How does it get there? And in a certain sense, you have to say, look, J.J. is an, is an executive. He delivers his product on time and on budget. <laughs> and, like, it, it, it does answer those questions. Like, it does answer those questions. But I think, you know, and it, it takes the characters from the past and locations from the past and mashes them together with stuff from the present to make something like a, a, a story. And, like, that's what you get when you hire J.J. Abrams, right? You get a bunch of, like, nostalgia, and it's, like, kind of a new thing. Um, I would say the question is whether the original trilogy or even the prequels needed quote-unquote wrapping up like didn't they wrap themselves up decades and decades ago but this it makes up new mysteries and then tries to wrap up those mysteries in the space of two hours and 22 minutes like all mass market products that i personally find objectionable from like tv to movies to music to politicians you know what they're really indicting is not the people who made it but the people who consume it like they're only making it because they think this is what you want and, you know, that's really the question about this movie. Like, is this what people want? I mean, not for nothing, it's had the lowest opening of any of the Disney uh, Star Wars sequels. And it's on track to do, you know, not... I mean, it's probably going to make a billion dollars. Let's not kid ourselves. But, like, it's it made about $50 million less on its opening weekend than The Last Jedi. You know? My main worry, I will say, is that in true boardroom fashion, and sorry for talking so long, Caleb, like somehow this blame will fall on someone other than J.J. Abrams. They'll be like, oh, it's franchise fatigue, or people were so mad at The Last Jedi they didn't want to see this movie. No, dude's a bad director. And the, like, the blame won't be on this movie for being a bad movie. And I think the story is as simple as that. It's not a good movie, and people don't want to see it. <laughs> like, <laughs> Caleb, what do, what do you think about uh- it? Yeah, uh, I like The Last Jedi, the one with Ryan Johnson did. I was a fan of that one. So I don't like this one because it walked everything, everything back. back. Everything uh, back. That one explored like, hey, we could, There's this is a galaxy. Everything can be bigger than uh, a Skywalker or uh, the, the, the dark side. Uh, there's things in this world to explore. Uh, and it blew stuff up literally at points uh, to like, hey, let's move forward and like play with the world. That means you could... There's so many ways you could go. And what this movie did was went completely backwards. They literally put the helmet back together and talked about how they put a helmet back together. I just feel like this is just stuff you can't do because it, because as a consumer, when you watch all three of these movies now, it'll seem like they don't make sense. They completely won't. So you have to, you have to just take what happened before and build on it. Shocking that these two movies are back to back movies. Like, 
They don't make any fucking yeah, sense together at all. This it's is a so huge franchise, cruel. arguably one of the most important franchises, which we'll get into. Uh, and they just didn't plan it out like that. At all. Absolutely right, yeah, great. All. Um, I would like to read a tweet. Uh, this is from <laughs> uh, Chris and Evangelista at Slash Film. Uh, see Evangelista. Uh, quote. Okay. Mm-mm. I'm Ray. Ray who? Ray looks around for a moment, then st- then smiles. Ray Star Wars. <laughs> I saw this directed tweet also. by J.J. Abrams. I saw this tweet also. I like that a lot. I mean, so to get into it's this, not far like, off from what actually happens. There's this thing in because I thought this was both mean and confusing. So here's where the spoilers start. Um, in the Last Jedi, there's this whole sequence because the whole question from the Force Awakens is like, "Who is Rey? Who are Rey's parents?" And in the Last Jedi, cool. Ryan Johnson says, "Your parents are nobody. Like your parents can be nobody." Ryan Johnson and uh, the character. Uh, Kylo Ren, who's still badass, right, um, right. says that to her. Says you, it doesn't matter who your parents are. Like you, you are yourself, and you make yourself. And then in this movie, they're like, "LOL, no, like you're you're the granddaughter of mm-hmm. Emperor Palpatine." And it's Kylo Ren saying that to it. Yes, not exactly. even character consistent. So, Kylo Ren in this movie, king of exposition. He's very oh cool in the first two movies. He gets to some storyline, but here he's just like there for Palpatine now, Palpal, uh, Palpatine now, Papa, uh, and then he's like. Just one point has a then he has a fight and then he's like running through ones he's just connecting expository oh stories. Uh, a cool character they mishandled. Uh, all these character characters they all mishandled. All these characters are grossly mishandled. Uh, I mean, I was thinking, given the amount of stuff in the Star Wars universe, it's really an impressive mm-hmm. feat of screenwriting to have people do things that are unmotivated. And yet it happens constantly in this movie. You're like, there's so much to pull from. Anybody could be doing anything for any reason. And yet constantly in this movie, I was like, why is this happening? Why is this person doing this? It doesn't make any fucking sense. Uh, Um, It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous, unconnected bullshit. And J.J. Abrams and the team at Disney, I'll put them all on blast. Uh, They're more concerned with being a franchise that eats itself and pats itself on the back for being that franchise uh, and that just means it's easy, recognizable patterns and easy things to digest, which is for children. I mean, it's for children. This it movie is for, it's children, for children. It's for but children. But like, you had a beautiful intro, Chris. Um, you give so much of your life to this thing, and it is kind of just like, yeah, thanks for reminding me that I'm an idiot now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I cared about Star Wars, and it's my fault. It's my for fault. For caring, exactly. For, like for it's, caring. A, it's a corporate product, right? Uh, and like, people ask me, like, oh, how do you, how do you feel about Star Wars? And I'm like. I've been saying, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I know, exactly. It's like sad. It's like when someone you love does something really stupid. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh God, I just can't. Mm-hmm. I just can't deal with uh, it. Here, here's some little bits that I liked. Uh, you could disagree with me, Chris. It's fine. Uh, I liked Baba Frick. <laughs> he's a little alien yeah, that I mean, pops people up. Liked him, yeah. He's cute. He's a cute thing. It's a, They have a cute thing. He's uh, the, the Rise of Skywalker's baby Yoda. Yeah, he's right? a, Borg too, you could do it. Um, uh, I liked uh, I liked C-3PO's little storyline. I like yeah, I like I like The droids are always... Um, uh, good uh, bellwether. Always dangerously close to overdoing it with the droids, yeah. but I thought it was done reasonably well uh, this but time. But they did sideline my man R2. R2 has always been there. Oh, no. R2 is not around. For I know. Uh, he's there for when uh, a major thing happens, and I, I like that a major character like R2 was there when this yeah. major thing happened. But for the most part, R2 is like, he, was, he went to the planet where uh, Yoda and Luke went. Uh, he was always on Luke's uh, Sky Fighter. Yeah. Uh, R2 has been so important this whole time and he's and if you want to like make star wars star wars put r2 in the most harrowing situations that dude 
owns. Not only did they not have R2, they had sort of the opposite of R2. They made up a new droid that speaks English. Oh, yeah. Why? Uh, only C-3PO speaks English, okay? And very occasionally some kind of medical droid or some shit. But, like, they made up a new little droid, like a BB-8 kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, like a, it's like a shopping cart wheel with a megaphone on top of it. And it speaks English. I mean, okay, it says like it only says yeah. like but no, still, thank it's, it's, you. It's odd. It's odd. It's, it's there to like weird. have a big reveal so Poe can understand it. Uh, I guess BB-8 is fine. They do care about BB-8. <laughs> Giving short shrift to one of the new droids of the Star Wars universe. Please welcome BB-8. <laughs> and I think this is goes to bad writing, but this movie's bad, badly written. It's very bad. Oh no, uh, I, that, I know. They were there's just so many death fakeouts like. We think a character passes away, but then like, nah, like that's cool if you do it like once, maybe twice. I'll get away with. They do that so many times it's in this ridiculous. movie. Like even, ridiculous. I mean, we said Palpatine's in this movie. Palpatine who hangs on a crane the entire time, so intimidating. Oh he's like the Borg Queen. I mean, speaking of Star Trek, you know, he's like he's connected to all these wires on this giant like gantry <laughs> kind of system. It's like the Borg Queen. My I'm man, waiting for him to get his my spine man hanging on a crane the whole movie. Um, I think, so right now, I already mentioned The Mandalorian, but The Mandalorian is on Disney Plus right now. It's airing. And I would say The Mandalorian is good. Um, Yeah, it's good for the most part. It's good for the most part. Um, And I think the difference between The Mandalorian and uh, this movie is the difference between Jon Favreau and J.J. Abrams. Like, like Jon Favreau obviously is like, does, you know, a big franchise guy. He does Iron Man and he does, you know, like all these fucking uh, other huge movies, right? Lion King. Lion King, yeah, exactly. But uh, Jon Favreau, you know, as both a screenwriter and as an actor, you know, I feel like when he approaches something, you're getting, you can hear him thinking like, okay, why is this character here? What do they want out of this scene? He'll ground it. You know, it's grounded and it's got like reasonably recognizable motivations and behaviors, even in crazy, crazy situations. J.J. Abrams approaches things like, you know, from the 10,000 foot level, like an executive, like mm-hmm. a franchise manager. And this movie makes sense in a, as a boardroom pitch. If oh, you're yeah. saying like, okay, so then like Ray and, you know, Ray and Finn do this. And then like, you know, Kylo Ren is working with this guy. And it's like, you can see how it makes sense if you're, if you pitch it in 15 mm-hmm. minutes, you know what I mean? And that is it. And then that, that was it. And then somebody had to figure out how to make yeah. it make sense. It all know? doesn't feel earned. It doesn't feel uh, earned it, at it just all, feels you know? like, uh, this is what people want. Let's give it to them, offer them one sentence of explanation, if that, uh, and then take out everything else and not explain that. Exactly. And it's just like, let's just, we want to keep it moving. We want to keep everything happening. Mm -hmm. At a certain point in the movie, I was like, has there been a line of dialogue that wasn't, you know, directional, that wasn't like, we need you to go here or look out for that, you know? It makes the whole feel of it, and that is in the editing, uh, makes it feel very clunky. Like, it's a very hard thing when you're just having to task all these, like, tying knots together it's just you get huge knots when you're doing that uh even like a uh, cool thing in last uh the last jedi was when uh, their mind meld between ray and my man kylo ren uh they could just like see each other and like talk to each other and that was cool editing it was like just back and forth yeah, yeah, yeah. and now they're like touching each other now and it's yeah, like having sword fights yeah. in that way and like you know he like steals less... a, an, an object from her yeah. via, and you're like how the fuck did he do that I don't know that doesn't make any sense it's clunky whereas in The Last Jedi it was like it was raining there and then they had like a little beads of rain on mm-hmm. her like it was just kind of mysterious and this is like he like picks her pocket via telepathy and you're like how the fuck did that possibly have happened and he doesn't even do it visually well no it doesn't make any sense sucks. um 
So ugh, we could keep talking about I mean, Star Wars. You know, we could keep I'm, frustrating ourselves. I'm running but, out of disk space on my yeah, computer, though, I'll say. But so. we'll just wrap up this Star Wars talk and our decade talk in general uh, just to have a couple 10 seconds. I said 10 seconds. I don't know why I said 10 seconds. <laughs> uh, just to talk a little about... Uh, these are movie franchises. This is how movies are made these days. I know. It's, a, it's IP. Uh, it's intellectual property. You know? 20 Marvel movies that are connected. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we more than twenty. Uh, yeah, and the, I mean, we're gonna have what six more Star Wars movies? At least three more. Oh my God. Uh, who kn- who, who knows, knows how I mean, that's it's gonna, gonna go on go. forever? I mean, what's interesting to me though is to think of this like so. In a certain way, it shows a lack of creativity, and it's very depressing, right? And I, I agree with that. But then, if you cast your mind back to the 1930s, I mean, they made a thousand. Sherlock Holmes movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they made a thousand versions of Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet. Oh, we- and obviously that's too. like Westerns. And obviously that's better material. But this idea of taking the same stories and the same characters and multiple actors retelling them and with different directors over and over again, it's kind of goes to the heart of cinema. And it's hap- it happens over and over again. It's just the stories that we're interested in change, mm-hmm. you know? And so whereas it used to be just like the concept of Dracula, now it's like specific superheroes, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, uh, the flip side of that, a movie like Uncut Gems is trying to just do the uh, a reverse of just like, oh, here's a specific human uh, that can lead us to original stories or just we're filmmakers who love old, like the Safety Brothers love film so much. Not to say that J.B. J- J- Abrams doesn't. I mean, he obviously does. I mean, yeah. that's the tragedy of it. But you th- know? They're, they're like applying it to their movies and like trying to like add too much and then edit it out and like they care about it. Where J.J. Abrams is uh, just, you know, handshaking with the Disney executives. You know, he's like, he's like his, he has the, lo- I mean, J.J. Abrams, like, you know, I'm in, a just, that- in a just universe, he would be the creative director of a mm-hmm. very successful advertising agency. You there- know, he shouldn't be getting to make this stuff. <laughs> like, uh, no offense to him, he should not be getting to do this. It's disappointing, Star Wars, is because I, I like The Last Jedi, and it shows that there could be risk-taking, and uh, they could do new things within blockbuster films and like look if we're gonna say so this movie's gonna tell the story of how the forces of freedom once and for all triumph over the forces of authoritarianism well over the forces of a resurgent authoritarianism that's threatening to conquer the galaxy even after it had seemed like it was defeated i mean that's such a relevant story to this time that we're all living in you know who could have known when the force awakens came out that by the time this movie came out, uh, that story would be vital to the the political and lived realities mm-hmm. of so many people. And it's such a missed opportunity that this movie is such a piece of garbage because it's like it, it could have been in direct conversation with things that are happening right now in the world and still been in a, an incredible piece of space opera and escapism. Yeah, great movies but are like, layered. It, it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't do that at all. It completely fucking doesn't even try. Which is insane, given the subject matter of the movie. I mean, but, you if know. you like Star Wars, I mean, you're definitely going to see it because you like Star Wars. That's what we did. Uh, but beyond that, it just falls flat. Uh, like, it just falls. It's just it's just boring. It's you Star know, it's just, Wars. It's so hey, cool. Movie, I'm here for know? Star Wars. And in that sense, it's an actually choice movie. I didn't say best. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> it's choice for sure. Uh, but it's Star Wars. It's huge thing in your life. You go and see it. But maybe we're making an argument for going to see a movie like Uncut Gems yeah, or these right. directors you haven't heard of or like, oh, hey, this movie stars taking a weird chance or like, why does this seem different and interesting? Oh, people are excited about this. Uh, if I you mean, go to the ringer.com, they probably have like 40 articles about uncut gems right now i mean that's like to go back to you know your ghost like i was so excited to see a movie like dog tooth all the way back in 2010 because i was like 
this seems like a completely unique way of viewing the world and a completely new take on a film that I haven't seen before. And that's what makes me excited to go to the movies. And that's what I'm hoping to get out of a movie going experience, you know, or to connect with some, you know, a person who's living a different experience than me. And uh, that's not at all what you're going to get from Star Wars. You know, excitement. I mean, uh, and I love, I love popcorn back. movies. Like, I fucking loved Hobbs and Shaw. Like, I realize that movie <laughs> is stupid, but I really enjoyed it. Um, this movie is way worse than Hobbs and Shaw. Like, way worse. Anyway, Caleb, like, let's say that someone was going to cut you in half with a lightsaber oh, if you had thing. to pick one of these two movies. Uh, um, I, I honestly, I'm still at the empty hyperbole stage of talking about Uncut Gems. A million times I'll talk about I'm Uncut Gems. Sure I'm going to see it again this weekend, actually. Are you really a yes. third time? Oh, my God. I, 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 this is mentally ill. As uh, I often tell you, this is mentally ill. I know. Uh, it just hits my wheelhouse with all the NBA stuff, with Sam, that with is the true. Safties. It's like uniquely in your wheelhouse. Mm. Yeah. Uh, like, it's on its way to being one of my all-time favorite movies, but I still need to, like, make sure, you know? Mm-hmm. I have to make sure. I, I, I still say, like, I like uh, Heaven Knows What better than this first Hafty Brothers movie. Uh, but still, what's uh, my favorite Sandler performance? Oh my gosh, I could keep talking. Chris, I mean, actually, best choice. Obviously, it's uncut gems. Like, yeah. honest, <laughs> uh, you know, you're gonna see this movie, uh, The Rise of Skywalker, one way or another. You're gonna see it like it on Disney Plus. To see it, yeah. You're gonna see it on an airplane. You know, you're gonna see it on HBO. I don't know. You're you're definitely gonna see it at some point, and uh, it's you're just gonna think like eh, it was fine. You know, I mean, I honestly liked fucking Solo better than this movie by a lot. I thought Solo was a way better movie than this. It was surprising and it was exciting and it was emotional. None none of the things. This gave you the same information about Chewie. None of those things is this movie. I mean, it's a it's a corporate product whose purpose was to wrap up this particular chapter of the Star Wars universe in a way that made sense to set up future ancillary products. And in that sense, it's a complete success, but yeah. I don't think it's a pleasurable viewing experience on any level. Uh, so, yeah, you just listened to two bros on the internet talking about how, how they, they don't like Star, Star Wars, Wars and like Adam Sandler. I know. Fuck off. Like, we're such pieces of fucking cliched garbage. Like, who gives a shit? I know. I feel like a real nerd. Like, we should have been, we should have put this on YouTube. We should have been fucking using video cameras, you know? Oh, I am filming it. Oh, great, great. Can I get a cut of nipples? Can I get a cut of that ad revenue, please? No. All right, fine. So, anyway, that's the show this week, everybody. Uh, that's the show for this decade, decade. everybody. We'll be back. Uh, next year, next decade. Next decade. And uh, we'll talk about more movies then. Definitely. All right, that's it. Good night. Goodbye. Y'all.